This has been and is our number one priority. After a string of shootings and extortion attempts, police meet with concerned residents in Surrey. If we can't have the income generated um, from short-term rentals, we'll be forced to sell. Bowen Island property owners on edge as council considers tighter short-term rental rules. That highlights the fact that we can turn things around, that nature can heal itself if only we give it a chance. The major milestone in a decades-long effort to bring an urban stream back to life. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin with breaking news. Police in Coquitlam are investigating the city's second shooting in less than 24 hours and the third shooting in just three days. Here's a look this hour at the scene near Westwood Street and Glen. RCMP are asking the public to stay out of the area. They were called just after four this afternoon when several shots rang out. Witnesses saw police dogs searching for evidence in Glen Park and around Glen Elementary. Police say they're following all leads, including whether this is linked to two other shootings on Friday. Today's gunfire comes after a shooting nearby late last night. Officers were called to David Avenue and Mitchell Street around 10.30 Friday night. They found evidence of a shooting and a victim who was not hurt. They're investigating whether it's connected to Thursday's shooting in the area of Glen Drive and Johnson Street. There were several reports of people shooting at a vehicle. Two suspects were arrested in that incident. Coquitlam RCMP are urging anyone who may have dash cam or home surveillance from Friday night to contact them. Shoppers at Coquitlam Center's Apple Store received quite the shock as officers responded to reports of a man with a weapon. RCMP responded with their firearms drawn around 11.30 this morning. Witnesses say the man was at the Genius Bar when four officers entered the store and ordered the man to get on the ground. He was arrested and police say there's no threat to the public. It's unclear whether police had seized a weapon. The investigation is ongoing. Hundreds of people packed a ballroom in Surrey this afternoon, worried about threats and gunfire that have spread unease throughout the city. As Julia Foy reports, officers have already spent thousands of hours investigating the crimes and they're vowing to keep going. This has been and is our number one priority. The officer in charge of the Surrey RCMP spoke to several hundred people Saturday, many who are concerned about recent drive-by shootings, some with links to extortions. Since October, we've had three confirmed extortions in Surrey. There's been three. I am also aware of extortions following the same fact pattern in West Vancouver, in White Rock, and in Abbotsford. So it is throughout the region. On December 27th, Surrey business owner Satish Kumar's family home was targeted in a drive-by shooting. He organized this meeting to help people share their own stories and concerns. People are very scared. We talked to the RCMP. They said, you know, like uh, we heard a lot of cases, extortion cases and drive-by shooting but nothing reported to the police. You know, when we see that, you know, the people are too scared. So that's why we, today we're getting the community to get together, telling them, don't be afraid. Politicians from across B.C. came to the community meeting, and B.C. Attorney General Nikki Sharma had an important message for the public. And the more information that we can get, 
that talk about what is happening on the ground and who is responsible, the faster we're going to be able to catch these people. Please do not pay them. Police officers from the RCMP, Surrey Police Service and Vancouver Police were on hand to take any information members of the public wanted to share. If there are victims in the community that have not talked to the police, I strongly urge you to call the police and provide the information that you have so we can investigate them. Edward believes the crimes are linked across the country, but he's confident Surrey investigators will crack the case. We did 20,000 hours of work on this file. It will continue to advance. We will work with our colleagues and we will be successful. Julia Foy, Global News. Just days after residents along the Highway 5 corridor raised the alarm about the safety of the highway, another crash snarled traffic north of Kamloops. A truck went off the road between 7.30 and 8 this morning at Thuya Creek. That's between Little Fort and Barrier. It comes as residents sound the alarm about the safety of the highway, raising concerns about drivers going too quickly on the busy corridor. There's no word yet on the cause of this crash. Road safety high on the minds of officers in the Fraser Valley. Global News was granted exclusive access as Abbotsford police conducted their patrols Friday night, offering a rare inside look at the work being done to keep the roads safe. Troy Charles has the story. And so begins a busy Friday night shift with Abbotsford Police's Traffic Enforcement Unit. First stop, a section of Rural Road where speeding has become all too frequent. And it didn't take long to find our first offenders. Abbotsford Police, it's a 50 zone. I had oh your 88. So the Traffic Enforcement Team had only been at this spot on Downs Road for around 20 minutes. They already have seven cars pulled over. Three of those are being impounded for excessive speeding. In 2022, 180 Abbotsford drivers were pulled over for excessive speeding. In 2023, it was nearly double that. We're all busy. We take risks out there. But unfortunately, those risks often end up in serious consequences such as fatalities. And we want to try to prevent that in Abbotsford. Then, a call over the radio. A motor vehicle accident on Highway 1. And our unit takes off. Code 3, lights and sirens. One vehicle is reported to be rolled over with an occupant pinned inside the vehicle. In rush hour, we raced through Abbotsford, but not everyone was getting out of the way. Come on, we're right here. Constable McClure reiterated just how crucial it is for drivers to pull over when emergency vehicles approach. It saves us precious seconds. And you can see coming from Sumas to number three road, uh, this is costing us a lot of time. Upon arrival, fire was already on scene and the driver had been taken to hospital. The traffic enforcement unit began investigating. Before we got here, that driver was transported. So now the exigency is getting to the hospital and determining whether that person was in fact impaired. Then we were off to the hospital where two officers had already located the suspect who was not seriously injured. They've demanded a blood sample from him and shortly, uh, shortly after this conversation, they're going to be obtaining those blood samples for toxicology. In 2023, Abbotsford police handed out 824 impaired driving prohibitions, a number this unit works towards decreasing every day. Troy Charles, Global News. RCMP have determined that an early morning fire at a car lot was not deliberately set. The flames broke out around 4.15 this morning at the Vancouver Car Centre at Madison and Dawson. 
A fire crew was returning to base when they happened to drive by and spotted the flames. They used bolt cutters to get onto the lot and start pouring water on the burning vehicles, racing to extinguish lit gasoline as it flowed towards the road. Police say four or five cars were badly damaged in the fire. They initially suspected arson, but have since ruled that out. A search is on in the Kootenays for what is believed to be a missing helicopter. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center was alerted Friday evening by the sound of an emergency locator transmitter sounding in the Revelstoke area. The alert sounded 18 kilometers east of the city. A search and rescue helicopter and an airplane have been dispatched, but bad weather is preventing them from joining the search from the air. RCMP and local search and rescue volunteers are on the ground, but at this point it's not clear if a helicopter crashed or who may have been on board. Burnaby RCMP say a crackdown on shoplifting last month led to the arrest of 33 suspects. From December 11th to 14th, police recovered more than $11,000 in stolen goods from Metrotown. Police arrested a prolific offender, 12 people with a violent criminal history, two with warrants and another pair found breaching court orders. Among the items stolen, $4,500 in sunglasses, athletic clothing, and $1,000 in beauty products. Job action has begun for some Metro Vancouver Transit supervisors after issuing 72-hour strike notice this week. As of 8 a.m., approximately 180 Coast Mountain Bus Company supervisors began job action with overtime bans. The union says the impact on commuters could include buses running late for service and service delays. Workers are asking for fair wages aligning with other supervisors within TransLink along with increased staffing levels. There's no bargaining dates in the uh, for the future um, until the company comes back to us with a solid deal. Uh, it's important to note here that the union uh, were the last ones to give our proposals and we've got no proposal back from the company yet. Meantime, the employer CMBC says they are closely monitoring the ongoing job action, but do not expect the union's overtime ban to have significant impacts to the delivery of transit services. BC's new rules governing short-term rentals have raised a lot of eyebrows since being introduced. The province says the goal is to force many short-term rentals onto the long-term housing market, but some smaller communities can make their own rules, and on Monday, Bowen Island will consider what it's going to do. Alyssa Thibault sets the scene. Built in the 1600s, this cabin has been in Julie Walsh's family for three generations. This property was inherited by my mother from her mother, from her, who inherited it from her parents, um, who were original or homesteaders on Bowen Island. Walsh lives in North Vancouver and her family spends the summers here. In the winter, it's rented out for between $170 and $350 a night. The current system works for us because it is usually just used on the weekends in the, the winter. But there's a chance the operation could come to an end if the province's short-term rental legislation comes into effect here. Because Bowen Island has fewer than 10,000 people, the municipality can decide whether to opt in to the new rules. One of those being that only principal residences can be rented out on platforms like Airbnb and Verbo. Bowen currently has 78 licenses for residential guest accommodation. 32 of those are not listed as a principal residence, Walsh's property included. We cannot afford the upkeep of, of this place. If we can't have the income generated um, from short-term rentals, we'll be forced to sell. 
Bowen does have its own short-term rental policy, limiting it to 120 days per calendar year per property. But that's coming up for review. And the whole topic will be discussed at Monday's council meeting. The mayor says it will likely be sent out for consultation. I don't lean one way or, or the other right now, uh, but I'm very curious to know what our uh, community thinks. Um, what comes back from our communities and what comes back from our community might just inform a tweaking of the existing short-term rental policy versus opting into uh, what the province has or even some combination uh, uh, thereof. There is a shortage of housing on Bowen, but it's also a small community that relies on tourist money. They're out there spending money and um, the economy would really, that's, that's our economy. Municipalities have until the end of March to decide if they want to opt into the new provincial legislation for this year. If Bowen Island decides to do so, the new rules would kick in November 1st. Alyssa Thibault, Global News, Bowen Island. Still ahead, the pent-up demand for fresh powder. Seemingly endless lineups in Whistler as skiers and snowboarders take advantage of the overnight snowfall. And the steps now being taken by U.S. aviation officials after a cabin door blows off of a Boeing aircraft mid-flight. Skiers and snowboarders eager to hit the slopes at Whistler were in for a bit of a surprise today. Extremely long lines stretched around the popular ski resort and could be seen from the highway. The abnormally warm winter has led to a lack of snow on the hills, but a snowfall warning brought a fresh dump of snow just in time for the weekend. This latest spell of cold and wet weather has prompted the opening of additional warming shelters. In Vancouver, six additional shelters will be operating in and around the downtown area. Spaces are limited at each shelter on a first-come, first-served basis. All shelters provide sleeping mats with food also being served at select locations. More information on availability in Vancouver can be found by calling or texting 211. The BCIT campus in Burnaby is already home to nearly 50,000 students and as early as next fall they could be joined by a whole new school. A fishway has just been completed on campus that could lead to a salmon run right through campus. Paul Johnson has the story. I've had a, a passion for this creek for well over 50 years. Hearing that from Mark Angelo is really saying something. As one of the world's foremost advocates for rivers, he's been on a thousand rivers in at least a hundred countries. But the little creek that ran through his old workplace is something that always stuck with him. This creek, when I first saw it, was literally a dead stream. There were no fish at all. It all began with a basic cleanup in the early 70s, pulling out garbage and debris and planting thousands of trees and shrubs. So as the stream got cleaner, as it started to come back to life, that set the stage for reintroducing trout. But there was still an obstacle on Guishon Creek, an old spillway that returning salmon couldn't navigate. Here's Angelo a few years ago, helping them upstream with a dip net to really get the stream back another project was needed. It sounded expensive. Joe Kosh is the BCIT facilities boss, who realized that some work that had to be done to deal with an adjacent sinkhole could include the building of a fishway. And in the last few months, crews turned an obstacle into a passageway for spawning salmon. Come next fall, BCIT will have the distinction of being a major campus with a chum salmon run right through it. This is amazing. I, I walk down here with my coffee at work 
Um, the students are loving it. In the face of all the challenges for wild salmon, Angelo is often an optimist. And the story of Guishan Creek will no doubt be one of his favorites. I look at the story of Guishan Creek and I think it highlights the fact that we can turn things around, that nature can heal itself if only we give it a chance. In Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. The provincial government has announced a new policy to better serve French-speaking residents. The policy applies to government ministries and requires them to provide information and services in French along with English. Until now, BC was the only province in Canada without an official policy to provide French language services. The policy will take effect on April 1st. According to the provincial government, BC is home to the third largest population of French speakers in Canada after Quebec and Ontario. Still ahead, the desperate searches for two missing people in the province, including a Prince George woman who didn't make it home for the holidays. And why a youth detox centre in Kamloops is offering cash bonuses to new nurses. U.S. Federal Aviation Administration is temporarily grounding some Boeing, Boeing 737 MAX 9 airplanes after a terrifying incident Friday night. The FAA says the plane experienced an in-flight departure of a mid-cabin door. To you and me, that means a door blew off the aircraft and the plane depressurized in mid-air. About eight minutes into Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 from Portland, Oregon to Ontario, California, sheer panic as a piece of the plane went missing. The Friday night sky suddenly widely visible from inside the plane as the crew scrambled to keep passengers alive. A cabin panel blew clear off this Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft. Loaded with 177 passengers and crew, the scene on board remaining eerily quiet. A lot of people around me were a lot calmer than I would have thought for a situation like this. An emergency landing back to Portland. Passengers applauding the crew's actions, relieved to be alive. This wasn't in that refrigerator-sized hole in the plane appearing to be an emergency exit is actually called a plug door. To passengers, it would look like any other window seat. There was thankfully no one seated near the window. Luckily, according to passengers, no one was seated in that spot. There was a mom and a son sitting in that aisle, and the son's shirt was like completely blown off, and his body was extremely red. I'm assuming due to like irritation of the wind. Reaction to the incident coming swiftly with the NTSB investigating. The FAA is requiring immediate inspections of certain Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes before they can return to flight. Alaska Airlines immediately grounded its 737 MAX 9s for inspection. The airline says it has already checked a quarter of its fleet with no concerning findings and that aircraft will return to service as their inspections are completed with our full confidence. Boeing today saying safety is our top priority and we deeply regret the impact this event has had on our customers and their passengers. The airplane manufacturer saying it will support the NTSB's investigation. A nighttime flight leaving passengers stunned by this scare in the air. We're so grateful we weren't higher in the air, like um, that more things didn't fly out, that no one flew out. I think that's incredible that we're all safe. 83-year-old North Okanagan resident Robert Baines has now been missing for five days. And as Victoria Famia reports, the concern for his well-being is growing, especially with increased snowfall and temperatures expected to drop in the coming days. 
Crews are faced with a new set of challenges as the search for missing 83-year-old Robert Baines enters its fourth day. There's increased hazards for search teams with the slips, trips and, and falls, so it is very slippery snow, it's very wet. The weather also increasing the urgency to find him. Survivability decreases with each day that we go along. So we, we do have a high sense of urgency in continuing to look for, for Mr. Baines. It is colder. We know he's not uh, dressed for cold weather or the wet weather. So of course we are concerned for his well-being. Teams have narrowed down the search to areas in and around Kalamaka Lake Provincial Park. As police say Baines disappeared after leaving his home on Ponderosa Way. We've narrowed it down to what we call our subjective search area. Uh, higher probability because of his frequency in the past to visit Kell Park to this area as well as the, the close residential area. He is very familiar with it. Baines was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which means crews are taking a specific approach to find him. We look at probabilities in certain behavioral categories. Dementia is one of those that has been well studied, well documented. So, like I was mentioning before, there's a higher probability they will seek structure, shelter in a structure. Uh, we look for him along roads or trails. As Baines left with only the clothes on his back, he hasn't left much of a trail for teams to follow. And over the past four days, crews have come up short. We haven't discovered any viable clues. Uh, we do investigate everything that we find, so it could be old, it could be new. Baines is described as five foot nine, bald, brown eyes, and was last seen wearing a green tilly hat, a green jacket, gray undershirt, blue jeans, and white shoes. Residents in the Ponderosa Way area are being urged to check their yards for any sight of him. Victoria Famia, Global News. And a family in Prince George has been has spent the holiday season scouring the downtown core, searching for any sign of their missing relative. What's worse, it's not the first time Jean Felix has lived the experience. We get the story from Dave Branco at CKPG News. Family and friends surround Jean Felix as she looks for her sister and any information on her whereabouts. Her biological sister, Brittany Schramm was reported missing over the holiday season. My sister is a daddy's girl and she um, would never not either call or come home for Christmas. Um, she came for a family funeral about a month ago and uh, she said she was going to return for the funeral which was the following Monday. So she came Friday and then not showed up on Monday. Felix has walked several kilometers talking to those who may have seen her. My sister in the last probably five to seven years had um, lived a very unhealthy lifestyle, um, but that's not how I define her. She, um, she, was, she grew up without my mom. According to Felix, the loss of their mother brought her into a lifestyle of addiction. Brittany was also a client of a local shelter. It's heartbreaking when we found out this happened. Uh, me and Kayla, we jumped in and we've gone to all of our other agencies and service providers in the Prince George area and uh, we're working with them to make sure that we're spreading the word. Four years ago, Felix undertook the same measures to look for her missing older sister. My sister, my older sister went missing on New Year's Eve four years ago um, and we found her on January 8th. So, no, this isn't new. This is something I've already gone through, and that didn't end very well. But I really have high hopes that, you know, that we're going to locate my sister and that, you know, she's found safely. Um, 
the search that I've been in before was wintertime like this and um, but it didn't stop us from continuing our search every day. Those with information on Brittany's whereabouts are asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. Dave Branco, CKPG News. In health news tonight, despite a rush at hospitals because of respiratory illnesses, a portable pediatric waiting room at Surrey Memorial Hospital is going unused. The room was installed in December to help deal with any surges in pediatric cases over the winter months. The space was intended to ensure children and their families receive the best possible experience during periods of high visitation. Fraser Health confirms it has not had to use this space yet and that Surrey Memorial Hospital remains prepared to handle any surge in patients. A youth detox centre in Kamloops is taking drastic measures to ensure it has the nurses it needs to open its doors. The Day One Society's new building is ready, but difficulties recruiting staff means it hasn't been able to open, so the Society is offering cash incentives. We get the story from CFJC News. The new youth detox wing at Day One Society has been updated and it's ready to house patients. The society planned to open its doors this past fall, but it's not yet fully staffed. We've been looking for nurses and other staff as well. I think about detox workers, cooks, janitorial staff, going on the better part of a year, if not longer. And specific to nurses, it's been a very slow process in hiring them. Day One Society's situation isn't unique. Entities throughout the province are in need of nurses. Currently, we have, um, as reported by Stats Canada, um, almost 6,000 nursing vacancies in, in this province. And those vacancies um, do not include temporary vacancies such as maternity leaves or nurses that are off on um, short-term or long-term uh, illness leave. Many health authorities have been looking for ways to fill those vacancies and are offering large signing bonuses. After getting the green light from Interior Health, Day One Society is offering a one-time $20,000 bonus to nurses who sign a two-year contract. There was quite an immediate response. We have quite a few casual nurses who really enjoy their flexibility of their schedule, and a couple of those nurses decided to step up to a permanent full-time position when they saw this signing bonus, and we've also received more applications and more interest, including people from across the country, not just in BC. But the BC Nurses Union believes signing bonuses don't address the root of the problem. I don't know that money itself is the solution. I think that uh, it's really about addressing the conditions of work uh, and why people are leaving. We don't have a problem necessarily recruiting nurses. We have a problem retaining nurses. Day One Society is looking to hire eight full-time nurses before it can start operations. Sydney Chisholm, CFJC News. After the break, Yvonne's here with the forecast and following the worst wildfire season on record, the province asks the public for feedback on how to better serve disaster evacuees. The provincial government is seeking feedback on how it can better help disaster evacuees following a record-breaking wildfire season and more unprecedented weather-related disasters. A report by BC Ombudsperson Jay Chalk found supports for people displaced by extreme weather emergencies are both outdated and unfair. 20 recommendations were made. The province accepted all 20 and have begun the process with a public feedback survey. Advocates believe emergency support services do not last long enough in addition to not accommodating people with diverse needs. What we found in, in, uh, in our report was that 
in addition to not uh, lasting long enough, uh, ESS uh, didn't accommodate people with diverse needs. So people who had challenging health conditions, seniors, uh, people living with dementia, people who had animals, uh, whether they be pets um, or, or farm animals that needed to be supported. The province says they've held more than 20 virtual and in-person engagement sessions so far with First Nations, local governments, ESS responders and evacuees. Let's bring in Yvonne Shal now with the forecast. And Yvonne, it was quite the sunset. Yes, uh, you and I both didn't see it, but I'm no. glad that we'll have some photos to show of it. It'll have to do. Yeah, it'll have to do. Our Pat Bell uh, captured a great uh, sunset. This one was taken from Point Grey. A quick look at that out there this evening. Gorgeous in a time lapse as well. So spectacular. We've got a different weather story, though, as we're going to get in towards next week. And here's another shot or photo, rather, that was captured in this one from Coquitlam, and it was taken by Blair. So thank you so much. It was great out there this evening. Uh, we are going to track a bit of a break still on the way for our Sunday and then after that we've got a change on the way. So this evening it is dry but overnight tonight taking us in towards tomorrow morning we are going to see some fog patches in the mix and then it's this weather maker that is going to move in impacting all areas along the coast and it will be cold enough that we're seeing the potential for some snow. We've had some snow from the Sea to Sky areas near Whistler. Great news there. We are going to see it dry this evening but late tomorrow evening another round of snow is going to move along the Sea to Sky. Rogers Pass with up to five centimeters and still a significant amount of snow falling along the Kootenai Pass with an additional five and up to 10 centimeters, two for tomorrow, but it should start to ease off. But check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Here's the weather maker that we're gonna see. So late tomorrow evening and in towards our Monday morning, a drop in temperatures, the moisture that is gonna move in. It's higher elevations. Most areas could see the potential between a trace and up to four centimeters. And this is going to impact our Monday morning commute. We could see some snow mixed with rain. Westwood Plateau, Burnaby Mountain, areas near SFU will all be impacted by that so look ahead towards our Monday morning is what we're seeing the potential for some snow to fall drop in temperatures it is going to settle in towards the week even Thursday Friday another chance for snow for all areas along the coast and we can see that drop in temperatures especially Thursday leading in towards our Friday the ingredients will be there we'll have some moisture in the mix and it is going to be cooler so plan ahead in the coming days we've got that uh, temperature even into the minus double digits for the central interior a few breaks along the coast for tomorrow inland we'll see some sunshine in the mix a chilly one tomorrow with highs just getting up to minus 10. A few lingering flurries will be for the Colombian Kootenai region similar for higher elevations along the mountain passes all areas along the south coast the island and the lower mainland. We've got fog for the morning hours, breaks, some sunshine, spectacular conditions for tomorrow, but it's late tomorrow by the evening and then in towards our Monday morning. Yes, chance for some snow, so plan ahead. Back to work and school. It'll be a busy one out on the roadways, and then on Tuesday, it'll change back over to rain. Travis? Okay, thanks, Yvonne. Firefighters in North Vancouver are busy today chipping away for a good cause. Anyone with a live Christmas tree was invited to bring it down to Rona Park in Tilford this afternoon. All donations will go towards bursaries for local high school students pursuing post-secondary education. Firefighters say dry Christmas trees not only look bad, they also pose a major hazard. A uh, dry Christmas tree is a very flammable fuel uh, or easily combustible fuel when it's stored next to your home. We want to try to get those away and reduce the fire risk uh, that's in your household. Yeah, no real tree for me this year, you guys? No, I haven't had one for years. <laughs> no. no. It's a little bit easier, I think, hey? Yeah. But it would look a little weird if I brought my artificial tree there, but maybe next year. We'll yeah. <laughs> the plan is to get a real tree next year, a live tree, right. as they call it. Yeah. Asa?
Nice to see you. Yeah, good to be here. Happy to be uh, filling in and uh, taking in the excitement at the desk. Also, the excitement <laughs> in this game, the Canucks uh, in action today. We'll have those highlights coming up in a little bit. Big game for the Canucks. They're in New Jersey. It is commonly known as the Hughes Bowl with uh, Quinn Hughes, Luke Hughes, Jack Hughes all in action. Although this time one is missing. I have details on that and then give you the highlights of this uh, highly entertaining match between uh, the Canucks and Devils. So all that coming up in a little bit. Okay, looking forward to it. Those must be some proud parents, the, the Hughes family. Yeah. All three of them playing in my the, parents. Play, <laughs> playing in the league, the big three. Yeah, doing okay. all right. Thanks, Asa. After the break, we'll head to the mountains of East Africa. Most gorilla species are considered critically endangered, but mountain gorillas have been taken off of that list. We'll find out what's helping these creatures bounce back. More than a quarter of monitored animal species are being threatened with extinction. That's about 44,000 types of animals. Among the most fascinating of those creatures is the gorilla. Most types of the animal are classified as critically endangered. However, the subspecies of mountain gorillas is seeing its numbers slowly rebounding. Redmond Shannon reports. On a mission through the clouds, AK-47s in hand, these are not gorilla poachers, but gorilla guides. Yes, yes. Gorillas have moved, are looking for food, they're following them. We're going to use another entrance on the other side. This tour guide is named Patience, appropriate for such a delicate job. If you hear any, any silverback doing that, as I'm going to do, you have to pay attention. If it does like this, <coughs> like coughing, uh, either you are nearby him, he doesn't want you to keep approaching him, he wants you to move back. All of a sudden, further up the side of a dormant volcano, there they are. A mountain gorilla family. The silverback, his six females and their infants. The mountain gorilla is classified as endangered, but is the only type of gorilla not critically endangered. Its numbers across this small part of East Africa, now around 1,000. Up from 680 in 2008, thanks to anti-poaching patrols and the removal of snares. When you, you meet them, uh, they are related, they are close to humans. There's something that I don't understand. I don't understand how people can come to kill these beautiful animals related to humans. Genetically, we are the same. So close, they can catch a cold from us, which can even be fatal. Our understanding of them is thanks to people like Patience and conservationist Diane Fossey. Her 1985 murder thought to be linked to her work against poachers. Yes, it's them for, for having break, for socialising. They have like a, like a biological clock. By this time, all gorillas, they break for digesting what they eat in the morning and socialising. The relative peace and stability in Rwanda is an important factor in helping them thrive. In the neighbouring Democratic Republic of the Congo, plagued by conflict, their safety and future is less assured. Redmond Channel Global News, London. Conservation officers say there have been multiple cougar sightings in Kelowna in the past week, with the cougar even killing a deer in a residential area. Here's a cougar caught on someone's door cam in the Mill Creek area last night. On January 2nd, CEOs had to remove the body of a deer that had been killed by a cougar near a home. 
Conservation officers say the cougar sighted this week is exhibiting normal behavior and has been assessed to be a low public safety risk. Deer are one of the cougar's primary food sources, so it follows that if there are a lot of deer in town, cougars will be close by. After the break, Ace is here with sports. It's the Battle of the Brothers as Quinn Hughes and the Canucks face off against Luke Hughes and the New Jersey Devils. Their brother Jack would have been on the ice too, but he's not playing. All right, Ace is back. The Canucks are out east today. Yes, they are. It's a big road trip and we'll get right to it because that game is just wrapping up now, so we'll get you an update on the score in a moment as well. It's the second of a seven-game road trip for the Vancouver Canucks. It's also the second and final regular season meeting between the Canucks and Devils. It's becoming known as the Hughes Bowl, although this edition is missing Jack, as you had mentioned earlier, Travis. The Stars Center was injured in yesterday's game against the Blackhawks. So the other two, Luke Hughes, Quinn Hughes, will have to definitely pick up the slack in this one, and they did indeed. Inside the opening three minutes of the game, it's Hughes involved in this one, but it's Brock Besser who pounces on the loose puck, puts it past Nico Dawes, but that was coach you saw him there. Lindy Ruff spots something, challenges for goaltender interference, and he'll win that challenge. JT Miller getting a little too close to Dawes, no goal. Other end of the rink, Thatcher Demko. It didn't have a lot to do in the first period, but he was... In fine form here, denying Dawson Mercer in close. No goals in the opening period. Things do pick up in the second, though. 41 seconds in. Philip Hronik with the shot. Elias Pedersen with the tip. Nice goal. That made it one off the opening goal of the game. It goes in, and then this just a minute later. It was JT Miller redirecting that rebound towards the goal. It goes in. About a minute after that, Miller strikes again. A much cleaner shot this time. Beating Dawes with the one-timer. His 18th of the season. Canucks cruising 3-0. Then it was 3-1 in the final minute of the second period. Eric Hollis' wrister goes in off the post. Devils get within one going into the second intermission. Right over Wade's Connor Garland scoring with just... 11 seconds left in the frame to restore the two-goal lead. And Travis, this is a classic NHL 9-94 wraparound goal. Not sure if you're familiar with the video game, but that's exactly how you do it. You pin the goalie on the post, and then you execute the wraparound. Early in the third year, Elias Pettersson puts away his second of the game. 17th of the season. That made it 5-2. The Devils score a couple quick goals midway through the period, including this one from Brendan Smith, making it close. They got within one. But uh, getting an update now, it is 6-4 Canucks over the Devils. That one should end that way. Now, the Chicago Blackhawks also lost a star player in that game yesterday against New Jersey. Connor Bedard was placed on the injured reserve list with a broken jaw. There's no timeline for his return, so his availability for the January 22nd visit to Vancouver by the Blackhawks is up in the air. And Connor Bedard start this power play for real. Bedard through traffic. He takes a hit from Brendan Smith. Did he ever? And look at, look right away. Kurt, is that right All right, this is the hit that forced Bedard out of the game. Just got caught reaching for the puck against a bigger defenseman there. After the game, Blackhawks head coach Luke Richardson was asked if he thought it was dirty. So he didn't know if it was dirty. Out of the corner, ran uh, headfirst into the defender. Hawks lost that one 4-2 to the Devils. And just got an update on that uh, Canucks game. It is indeed a final 
6-4 win for the Vancouver Canucks. Meanwhile, the Vancouver Whitecaps players have reported to camp ahead of their preseason trip to Spain. The team is looking to build on a decent 2023 campaign, campaign rather, where they won the Canadian Championship for a second straight year, made the MLF's playoffs as well before being knocked out by LAFC in the opening round. So now Vanny Sartini is looking at ways the team can improve this season. So what we are looking to... We Again, we, I think that Brian and Ryan last year, they had a, a, an amazing season. But uh, for me, in order to become even a stronger team, even a better team, we need to have different weapons too. Last year, we had two, with, with these two fantastic, I would say, arrows in, in a, like uh, Ryan, and, Ryan and Brian. But if we can diversify uh, our, our attacking option uh, and to have like little different uh, uh, kind of players to be there would be great. That's the reason why we are Damir. That's the reason why we are even looking for another offensive player to have it in our roster. The, uh, and the other thing I would say, we are also looking for someone who can help uh, on the in the in the midfield can be a kind of a versatile player can be wide uh, can, can can be playing wide in order to i would say again give us even more options of the very good option that we have at the moment all right now to the other form of football the scenario for the seahawks to make the playoffs is quite simple beat the cardinals and hope that the packers lose to the bears and the hawks get in both of those games kick off in the afternoon window tomorrow now the Ravens are hosting the Steelers earlier today Baltimore locked up first place in the AFC so they rested Lamar Jackson the Steelers needing to win to keep their hopes of making the playoffs alive tied at seven in the fourth quarter when Deontay Johnson busts his play wide open 71 yard catch and run TD Steelers win this one 17 10 and they will be closely watching the games tomorrow hoping for the Bills to lose tight race in the AFC big uh, race as well in the NFC and uh, yeah the schedulers pretty smart in the NFL they they leave it all to the last minute and then make sure that uh, no one can scoreboard watch or you know watch it in advance and know what they have to do the Seahawks sure didn't make it easy for themselves no they yeah uh, last <laughs> week was really disappointing had some close games that didn't go their way uh, I know some fans are actually thinking maybe a draft pick is better off if they do end up you know not making the playoffs this year yeah, it's always tough when you got to sit there and watch another game. In yeah, the yeah, you're relying on somebody else, right? Yeah. And, and Pete Carroll talked about that last week, that they give up the opportunity to kind of control their own destiny. Yeah, well, at least we've got the, uh, the Canucks there you go. rolling right along, good. so that's great. That's right. Another win for them. Okay, thanks, Asa. After the break, we'll show you why some people are starting off the new year with pen and paper. Community members gathered Saturday afternoon to celebrate the new year with a unique Japanese custom. People got to try their hand at kakizame, which means first writing and symbolizes the auspicious beginning of the year. It's a way to inscribe your aspirations and intentions with calligraphy. The drop-in event was held at the Nikkei National Museum and Cultural Center with the aim of sharing Japanese traditions with everyone. The concept of setting a New Year's resolution is not foreign, it's quite universal. So I think it's easy for people of all cultures to come and it's kind of cool to write it in kanji and take it home. And then people will explore the rest of our centre, like visit the gallery. This is the second time the centre organised the event after a successful turnout last year. 
and uh, producer Brett tells me that if you are left-handed <laughs> and you do calligraphy, oh. that's you? Yeah. It's not good because the ink doesn't dry in time oh. and your hand just rubs everything yeah, yeah. as you're writing. Well, so. I had like the liquid pens as well. And it's the same <laughs> thing when I was a kid. But it was cool, everyone had it, so I had to do this. Yeah. Just try to just make to look it work. Cool. So did you have a sleeve Life of just like liquid <laughs> yes, paper? Yes, I always? did. Yeah. 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 I'm right handed, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Yvonne? I'm right handed too. too. We're fine. We're just fine. Okay, it's just Asa that we've <laughs> got to worry about. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great night. <laughs>